Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, September 14th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. The deadline for a new deal is midnight tonight as the contract between the United Auto Workers and top American car makers expires. We'll get the latest in our next segment. But right now, the latest reports on retail sales and inflation are out. Joining us on the Village Bedford Park business line reminding you you to bring your business home is Gus Fauche, Chief Economist with PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thank you for joining us today. Let's talk about the uh, the, the producer price index, that is the prices that, that's the price that businesses pay and it will eventually show up uh, in the prices that you, the consumer, pay when you go to the store. And it shows a, a little bit of heating up in the month of August, but uh, the, the core uh, index tells a different story. Um, that, that's right. We saw uh, the PPI for final demand rise seven tenths of a percent, uh, but for core goods it was up only only one tenth of a percent. So what's going on is we had very high energy prices in August that pushed up prices at the wholesale level. But once you strip out those energy prices and the Fed, that's what the Fed is focused on. The numbers look better, and they do show that inflation is slowing as we head into the end of 2023. And it's also it's kind of an inverse of some of the inflation reports we had been seeing earlier in the summer before the run-up of gas prices, where we talked about how overall prices were moderating at the consumer level and at the wholesale level, but the core uh, indices were stickier and higher. And in this case, uh, the core is a cause for relief. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, certainly the Fed is more focused on the core than they are on the headline number. Uh, and so presumably, if we continue to see a slowing in core inflation, as I expect, uh, that means that the Fed won't raise rates when they meet next week and then probably won't need to raise rates through the end of this year. And then let's take a look at uh, the the latest uh, report on initial jobless claims shows that uh, despite a little bit of an uptick this week, the job market is still in- incredibly resilient. That's right. So uh, initial claims rose from 217,000 to 220,000 in the week ending September 9th. Still very, very low on a historical basis. Uh, no indication that layoffs are picking up. Uh, and people who are losing their jobs are still finding new jobs pretty quickly. So uh, labor market remains remarkably strong in the heading into the fall. And uh, uh, that's very good news for people who are looking for a job right now. We're talking to Gus Fauche, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh on the retail sales side of things. Uh, bigger than expected jump in the month of August, but uh, the, the entire it seems like the uh, that that jump in retail sales was driven entirely by the gas station. Uh, not entirely, but uh, most of it was driven by higher gasoline prices. They were up about five percent on the on the month, but we did see you know scale. Uh, increases in sales for electronics, uh, for uh, clothing and in specialty stores, slight increase for restaurants. So the story there is that consumers continue to increase their spending at a a moderate pace. 
uh, you know, given the fact that the jobs continue to increase and the wages are still rising. And so that's supporting moderate gains in consumer spending. If you're taking a look at the three data points, the uh, uh, producer price index, the, the the latest report on unemployment claims and retail sales, uh, where, where, where are the inflationary pressures and are they building? Um, the inflationary pressures are coming from services, so things like education, healthcare, travel and tourism, uh, leisure, recreation spending, things like that. Uh, they're coming from the strong labor market, and there are indications that they are slowing, but that type of inflation is still too high for the Fed. They would still like to see a bit softer job market. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, union auto workers are set for a walkout against top car makers. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. We're now less than 12 hours away from what could be a strike by members of the United Auto Workers Union. Let's get the update from Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive correspondent based in Detroit. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. And based on the latest Facebook Live video from UAW leadership, it sounds like the chances of an 11th hour breakthrough are relatively slim. Yeah, I would say that. And I would add the word slim because, you know, this has been this has been a situation that's been full of surprises, but the conventional wisdom is that the UAW is ready to strike selected plants when that contract expires just before midnight tonight, Eastern time. And there's a lot of posturing in any type of union negotiation that goes public, whether it's the auto workers or UPS or railroads or what have you, uh, these big, potentially crippling strikes averted by a last-minute agreement, the government gets involved, things like that. But... um, does this seem different, though, in terms of just uh, you know, the, 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 the CEO of Ford saying that they laid out an offer and never received a counter, that uh, maybe this is a situation where uh, there will be shutdowns and it could take a while? Yeah, and, and what's different is Sean Fain, the new UAW president, and the roots go back to the UAW corruption scandal, which led to a different way of electing presidents. They were popularly elected. Fain ran on a platform saying, we are going to be tough with the car makers. The turnout to the election was very low. The election was very, very close. But, Sean, that doesn't matter. Sean Fain is the president, and he's calling the shots. And this is going to be, uh, 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 this would be a strike at selected plants against all of the Detroit Three. I mean, we've been talking about uh, uh, Ford and its CEO, uh, Kevin Farley, talking about, uh, Jim Farley, I should say, talking about um, the, the lack of a counter offer. But uh, this is against all three of the Detroit automakers. And what would this strike look like? Yeah, it would be against all three, and all three are negotiating separately. They're different businesses, so they can't negotiate together. That would be considered collusion. And, again, the strike would look like this. At 10 o'clock Eastern time tonight, Sean Fain will do another one of his Facebook Lives. He'll say which plants that they're going to be striking, and workers at those plants will walk out at midnight or go on the picket line at midnight if the plant doesn't have an overnight shift. And uh, then they'll go from there. And Fain reserves the right to add strikes at other plants just to ratchet up the pressure as they go. What is the impact on the Chicago area, if at all? There is an assembly plant on Torrance Avenue on the southeast side of the city. Uh, Is that a potential location for one of these so-called stand-up strikes? 
every plant is a potential location. Now, that plant makes the Explorer and the comparable other SUVs at, at the Lincoln brand, and uh, it could be targeted or Ford or the UAW could target a plant that makes parts for that plant, which would shut it down. And if that plant is shut down, that would have a ripple effect on a supplier park that's nearby, and those people would be laid off. So, yes, it could all be impacted whether or not that plant is struck tonight. What was the length of the last UAW strike, and how long did it take to get things back to normal once an agreement was reached? Well, the last strike was against General Motors. It was in 2019. I believe it went about five or six weeks. It actually caused Michigan to go into a one-state recession for a quarter. And really, GM hadn't recovered from that strike when COVID hit, hadn't recovered from COVID when the chip crisis hit. And, you know, with all that's been going on the last few years, with ripple effects, they're still feeling the impact of that strike. So if you're the UAW, you look at uh, the, the, the history of the last four years and say you're exerting maximum leverage right now. Yeah, what, what you have is a situation where all unions tend to have a, a lot more power right now. We've seen that at UPS. We've seen that elsewhere. That's because of the labor shortage. That's because of the dynamics of the market in general. The fact that the car companies at this particular point are making very big profits. So all of that is telling the UAW, hey, if we want to get what we want, now is the time. Let's not wait for four more years because the situation could be very different. Jeff Gilbert, CBS News Automotive Correspondent based in Detroit. Thank you for the update as the clock ticks down to the deadline for a potential UAW strike against the big three tonight. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. California-based cultivated meat company Upside Foods is building a production site at the former Allstate campus in Glenview. We welcome in Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Danny, thank you for joining us today. You know, for decades, the Allstate campus on 294 at Willow Road has been a landmark for drivers, and it's kind of interesting now watching the gradual demolition of the property, but it's going from you're in good hands with Allstate to you've got your hands on faux meat. Eat. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's what's happening here. I mean, anyone who's driven by that has actually seen how fast it's changing. A lot of that uh, off the office buildings have been going down, and uh, there's one uh, large warehouse that's been built, and they've uh, planned to build a, a few more uh, over in the next year or so. One of which is going to house this company, Upside Foods, which is uh, opening a commercial scale cultivated meat production. So that's meat and poultry and seafood that is, you know, grown directly from animal cells as opposed to slaughtering animals. Uh, it is a uh, pretty groundbreaking facility, 187,000 square feet. That's going to bring a, at least 75 jobs to Glenview. And uh, yeah, it's a significant piece of news. It's a nice job growth win for the Chicago area and certainly shows that, uh, 
you know, there's all kinds of uses that fill up these industrial properties, which really developers are, you know, they can't build fast enough these days. And uh, this is uh, above and beyond the would you or, would you or won't you question about the uh, cultivated lab-grown meat. Um, it's a, a high-tech win for the state of Illinois coming off the, uh, the, the, the EV battery plant announcement. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, Chicago's position and just logistically and sort of a central location and with many, uh, you know, young, talented, uh, tech-savvy individuals, that's what keeps companies coming here, uh, despite a lot of the challenges we talk about and and write about all the time. And, um, you know, certainly companies recognize, and that's really one of the things that Upside was saying in the press release announcing this today, was that they uh, see a lot of the talent here and uh, the sort of strategic location of being Chicago. And obviously, Chicago has a great history of, of meat production and its status in the food uh, industry overall. I was going to say, we're talking to Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. You know, Carl Sandberg once calling Chicago hog butcher to the world. And this, I, I can't come up with a 21st century equivalent of what this plant is going to be, but there are echoes of, of this city's meat pr- meat producing past. Yeah, no question. I mean, if you really step back and look at it, the Chicago area is kind of becoming a little bit of a, a magnet of alternative meat, alternative protein production. There's um, a number of, of restaurants and chefs that uh, are in Chicago that have opened either restaurants and kitchens that are looking at either plant-based uh, meat or sort of other alternative uh, proteins and, and really um, – uh, I think sort of continuing Chicago uh, as a leader in sort of that uh, food production space. And, um, you know, obviously it's tied to our history. And then very quickly, uh, from a logistics standpoint, I am familiar with the uh, 294 Willow Road exit. And that is a, a fully remodeled entry and exit point of the highway. So it could handle a lot of truck traffic. Yeah, so there's, you know, part of it is that there's a, a road right off of Willow that will access the large warehouse that's there now. And this is this new uh, facility is going to be on Sanders Road. So, you know, this is an area that uh, Glenview believes can can handle a lot of this tr- these trucks. And that's what uh, they're counting on is so that it doesn't uh, have too much of a negative effect. Danny Ecker, reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us today. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, choosing the right wearable tech for your kids. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The debate continues over a tent camp for migrants in Chicago. There's a court ruling involving the presidential election interference case in Georgia. It's Technology Thursday. We'll look at some of the best options when it comes to wearable technology for children. And another spike in crude oil prices is expected to induce more pain at the gas pump. WBBM business. The markets are higher. The Dow is up 338 points. The Nasdaq is up 123. The S&P 500 is up 39. 69 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. Community meeting last night in the Roseland neighborhood centered on a proposal to turn an empty parking lot into a tent camp for migrants. 21st Ward Alderman Ronnie Mosley says he's not the one deciding if the plan will go through. This is a decision that is made in between the mayor's office 
and the owners of the site. The lot that was once a Jewel Osco store could house up to 1,400 people. A judge in Atlanta has ruled that two of former President Trump's lawyers, accused of taking part in efforts to overturn Georgia's presidential vote, will get a separate speedy trial. The ex-president and 16 others will not be forced to be on trial at the same time. CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum comments on Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesborough getting their wish. We have two constitutional principles in opposition here. Chesborough and Powell's right to a speedy trial and Donald Trump and the remaining defendants' right to a due process and right to defend themselves against the myriad of these criminal charges. They claim that they can't be ready for late October and that's why the cases will be severed. The trial for the first two defendants is set to begin October 23rd. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are higher today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director of Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Based on the data we saw this morning, I, was, I for one, was surprised that the markets are staging a bit of a rally today. Yeah, well, the markets are putting putting a, a positive spin on uh, mixed data. Uh, inflation was somewhat higher than expected, but that was oil, uh, and and that is not forecast to go on forever. Uh, that's on the negative. On the positive side, retail sales were stronger than expected, but part of that was oil, uh, and uh, that may not go on forever. So I think what the markets are saying is if you put it all together, so far the economy is holding up. Uh, Inflation, while very sticky, uh, uh, the trend line is moderately down. Uh, The Fed is either done or one rate increase away from being done. That's what the market believes right now. And so the assumption is that uh, the economy will continue to to power forward, possibly at at a lower rate, uh, with inflation receding, the Fed out of the way, uh, and, and, and a slightly improving picture for corporate profits. Estimates are starting to go up. And then, of course, you had this very highly successful new offering, the ARM new offering, which means the uh, new issue market may open up, which is a, a bullish sign for stocks. So putting that all together, the market's putting a positive spin, but it's tentative. I was going to say, I mean, it seems like a, a, it's people choosing to, uh, to to be on the sunny side of the street. But it seems like there's a consensus forming about the future of interest rate hikes and that uh, we're probably done, uh, regardless of all the rhetoric about being data dependent and regardless of all of the uh, hawkish rhetoric you may hear out of the next Fed policy meeting. It seems like everyone's coalescing about around the idea of you pause this month, maybe raise in November and then you're done. Yes, that is the consensus, but the reality check will be the dot plots next week when the Fed meets and updates its assumptions on uh, the economy, interest rates, inflation, uh, etc. And uh, they, they could shatter this confidence if they are estimating higher interest rates or inflation than the market is assuming. assuming. So that's why I said the positive spin is, is uh, uh, it's for now, and it'll get a reality check next week. I want to go back into the Wayback Machine because in all of the reading about the anniversaries of the September 11th terrorist attacks uh, uh, earlier this week, um, I fell down the rabbit hole of just economic commentary about where the economy was in 2001 through the summer of that year. And I was hearing some echoes based on what we're talking about today. Uh, That was the end of a tightening cycle and that the Fed did raise interest rates to slow down the economy at the end of the go-go 90s and the economy eventually fell into a 
recession. Uh, are there any similarities with that hiking cycle 22 years ago and what we're seeing today? You know, there's a lot that's different in the world. There are some similarities, and, there, there, you know, it, do, it does rhyme. But uh, you're, you're, you're in a different period today in terms of the international economies with Europe slowing down, uh, China having uh, problems, uh, a p- political division in the country, and a lack of the ability of Congress uh, uh, to get things done. So uh, it's, it's a different mosaic. Uh, you have a Ukraine war this time around. So you can you can look to to history as a guide, but not as a forecast for the future. This is a situation where you have to wake up every day, view the incoming economic and geopolitical data, and uh, chart a path forward. And then 22 years from now, someone is going to say, "Boy, isn't this like the hiking cycle of 2022-23?" Yeah, let's hope let's hope we're all around to 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 reflect on that because we're experiencing it, and we can tell them uh, uh, what really happened. But uh, yes, they will be talking about it. Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director of Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, checking out the latest wearables for kids. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Take care of some breaking news right now. Hunter Biden is charged with three felony counts of making false statements and illegal possession of firearms. The younger Biden accused of lying about his drug use when he bought the gun in 2018. Well, a much more coming up at 1 o'clock from CBS news. It is Technology Thursday on the Noon Business Hour. Advanced technology is a part of everyday life, even for children. Let's talk about the latest wearables for young people with Carl Prouty, the technologist with Apt Electronics in Glenview. Carl, thank you for joining us today. And uh, Carl, I'm the, the, the parent of three young children at, at home. And if you want to start a conversation with the parents of other young kids who are maybe in grade school, you know, third, fourth grade, something like that. Uh, just just say iPhone or, or iWatch or Gizmo, and they know exactly what you're talking about. Yep, that's absolutely right. Those are kind of the two biggest ways to to really keep track of your kids, especially if you have young ones like that. And, and for, for parents, if you, you want to get them into the world of wearables and, and, and find a way that you can make sure you know where they are, you have the ability to uh, call them if, they, if, if you want to do that, but you don't want to take the plunge into getting the smartphone just yet. Right. No, this is a great way to do it because the, the, being realistic, little kids, they're, they're not going to be responsible enough to have a cell phone. So this is a great way. You put it on their arm or their wrist. And then it's there. They're not. They're really not going to mess around with it a whole lot there. They kind of forget that it's there. But then when they need it, it's it's right there, ready to use. We're talking to Carl Prouty, the technologist with Apt Electronics in Glenview. Uh, so let's run down kind of the pluses and minuses of the big wearables uh, for kids, beginning with the iWatch, which uh, you can. Are, are there extra costs associated with getting an iWatch for your kid? Like, do you have to, will you have to pay more to add an extra line to your cell phone plan? Yeah, aside from just the cost of the watch itself, the Apple Watch SE is a, is a great option. It's, those start at 249 and you can get them in a, in a 40 millimeter size. So they're actually a little bit smaller and easier to fit on smaller kids' wrists. But outside of that initial cost, you're going to pay generally around $10 a month uh, to have that sort of as a line on your account. And then what uh, functionality does the uh, that particular uh, iWatch model have for a third, fourth, or fifth grader? Oh, it's got great stuff on it. So you can do something called geofencing on there. So you can basically set up a boundary, and that way you know when if your child leaves that boundary, 
it'll ping your phone so you'll know and you can then check in with them. Um, you can also have it ping them at different times of the day to kind of see where they are. But they also have access to, to making calls with it. So if they, you can kind of dictate what numbers they're allowed to call. So you have, you know, a, a mom and dad's number on there, maybe a grandparent's number as well. So the kid has easy access to be able to call somebody that they might need at that time. And let's move on to Gizmo, which is the more affordable of the two, but that is strictly a Verizon product, or is it? It's Well, Verizon makes it, but you don't necessarily need a Verizon phone to use it. So the Gizmo Watch is its own device. So it gets treated like it's, like it's its own cell phone. So again, you're paying about $10 a month for the service on that phone or on the uh, watch outside of the initial cost of the watch. But if you have an AT&T phone, you just download the, uh, the Gizmo Hub app on that, and that's going to allow you to text with the watch um, and, and just sort of keep track of things that way. But you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a really easy watch to use with that app. And then as far as uh, quality and reliability are concerned, you mentioned the uh, the iWatch is $250. And as a parent, you're going, do I want to give my child a $250 device that <laughs> they're going to wear in the pool or or, or wear during a, a sporting event or, or you put them at risk of losing it or breaking it? Uh, what are some of the reliability pluses and minuses between the two devices? These, you know, these are both very reliable. Now, if your kid is in the pool a lot, I will say the Apple Watch is a is a better choice in that case because it ha- does have better water resistance. But as far as as far as playing sports and kind of banging the watch around, they're both designed to be very durable. So really, either way you go there, as long as they're kind of staying out of the water, um, you can go with either one. And then uh, lastly, uh, battery life. Battery life, the Gizmo has a longer battery life um, simply because it doesn't have quite as many features built in. It doesn't do quite as much as the Apple Watch, which is why the Gizmo Watch is really going to be more for kids in like the six to 10 year old range where the Apple Watch is nice because you can give it to a six year old and they, I mean, as long as they take care of it, they can use it until they're 15, uh, as long as all the updates and everything happen. Carl Prouty, the technologist at Apt Electronics in Glenview. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. And still to come, prepare for higher prices at the gas pump. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Crude oil prices in the U.S. have topped $90 a barrel for the first time since last November. Let's find out what's causing the increase and what may lie ahead with Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com based in Chicago. Patrick, thanks you for joining us today today. Of the contributing factors into this run-up in oil prices, I mean, how much of it is based on uh, cuts in production by Saudi Arabia and other OPEC nations? And uh, how much of it is just based on uh, uh, current um, conditions around the world, whether it's storms, refinery shutdowns, things like that? Well, Rob, good to be with you. A lot of this is uh, really blamed on Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, attacking or waging war on low oil prices. Of course, this does stem back to uh, the month of June when oil prices were all the way down to about 65 to $70 a barrel. That's when the U.S. started to refill the strategic reserve. It's now going up, but they've stopped that. And partially because of the price of oil is now at $90 a barrel. The Saudis and Russians have been cutting production a million barrels a day. Uh, just from Saudi Arabia alone, and now they've extended that to the end of the year. And that's where a lot of this rally that we're seeing in the price of oil 
come from is simply the fact that at a time of recovery and demand that Russia and Saudi Arabia aren't producing as much. And we could go a little bit higher yet in the weeks ahead. It seems like the last couple of months or so, despite the fact that OPEC and Saudi Arabia was uh, turning the spigot off just a little bit. Uh, One of the things that kind of saved drivers was this notion that the oil market was anticipating a recession in the United States. So far, that recession has been averted, and it seems like the futures markets are adjusting based on that information. Yeah, there's a lot of that, and that's why the national average is still holding at a high watermark for the year at about 383 a gallon. The national average, basically the same as it was a month ago, but it has been rising in the last couple of weeks. But for Chicagoans, certainly some good news, and that good news extends into this weekend. We switch back to cheaper gasoline. Chicago uses reformulated gasoline in the summer months. It's quite a bit more expensive, anywhere from 20 to 50 cents a gallon more than the winter gasoline that we can use. We make that change over this weekend. That could usher in a little bit more relief, but gas prices are already down in Chicago, 30 cents from a month ago. Though if you're out in the suburbs, we could see a little bit of a jolt higher here before we make that transition to winter gasoline this weekend. And then lastly, Patrick, you don't want to prove a counterfactual, but uh, I'm going to ask you to do that anyway. Um, what would, where would the price of gas be right now if we were still dealing with uh, pre-pandemic commuting patterns, people driving to work five days a week instead of three, and driving more internal combustion engine vehicles compared to, compared to today? That's a tough one, Rob, because we probably have more refining capacity. Some of that was shut down due to COVID. But as you mentioned, demand was much stronger prior to COVID. So balancing those out, we'd probably see oil prices lower if we were in 2019 because we wouldn't be worrying about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and we wouldn't have had some of those refineries going down permanently. So prices theoretically could have been under $4 a gallon if this was 2019. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, here we are. There's not as much refining capacity. And, of course, uh, the Saudis and Russians now waging war on low oil prices by cutting production significantly. Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst, GasBuddy.com.